Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we discuss RPG ideas, compare rules, uh, establish some agreed upon definitions of what is and what isn't D&D, and then we fight about what we think about those things and generally geek out over our favorite game and games and even our not-so-favorite games. Anyway, I am Sam Dillon. And I am Brenda Stoddard, and this episode we are discussing experience points in 3rd edition through 5th edition. Ah, yes. So, in 3rd edition uh, is yet another sea change, I would say. Uh, but it is uh, ultimately much more like 2nd edition. Uh, really, the big sea change is the whole idea of... Um, of challenge rating and encounter balancing. That's just mm-hmm. such a, a new and different idea in third. Um, this much more of an idea of uh, how many encounters you'll face in a day creating your rate of advancement in itself. Right. Uh, which is Which is extremely different. I mean, that actually is maybe one of the most significant differences because that's that's oh, yeah. not something that was considered before. I mean, think about what we just said an hour ago about zero edition, right? About about the basic, you know, the white box at the very early stages. They're talking about going into a dungeon and uh, awarding experience, a portion of experience based on your level comparison compared to the the dungeon level right if you're second level you're on the second level dungeon and you're fighting a two hit die creature then you're going to get full experience for that um but if you're fifth level and you're on the second level you're not going to get full experience for that and that was how they made challenge rating sort of match and that had no thought towards how many possible encounters or situations you'll be in in an adventuring day or per level before you level up again. Also, by the way, let me point out something that I didn't say before. Remember that, so we're talking about being on the second level of a dungeon and being a fifth level character and not getting all of the XP. But remember that not everybody in that party is the same level. So you might be on the fourth level of a dungeon and your two fighters might actually be fourth level. The mage might be second level and the thief might be sixth level. So they're getting a different portion based on what's happening. And that none of that at all allows for a direct pathway to be traced from what the characters are doing in the game to uh, any in any way, shape, or form how many possible or expected encounters per level that they live. Whereas third edition, all of a sudden... Here it is. Let's just make it very obvious and simple. Yep. It, and it, it is very much like at the beating heart of play. No, no mistake. And so it's a very involved table lookup, um, but it's just a table lookup. Let's not, let's not get it twisted. Um, you have your character level and the challenge rating of the creature and you, you know, cross-reference those and that gives you the total and you just sort of work your way through everything that they defeated in the course of the day in exactly that way. Um, 
and you know here we get um, things that are that don't have an XP total listed because if you if you beat that something weird happened and maybe maybe that needs a custom award like you had no business fighting that much less beating it uh, on one end and on the other end your um, that thing was no threat to you. Why did you stab it? Like you are so completely above that thing that that isn't a fight. That's just a slaughter. No, thank you. You don't get XP for that. Um, and so that's, that's a, a really important mechanic here. Um, but it's only one of the two experience point systems of, of the edition because there's also a whole section on story awards and letting the whole experience point dynamic of the game just be story driven. Uh, which, I mean, when you get down to it and sort of when you get down to what defining missions can entail uh, is to me uh, uh not even a half step away from um it's the it's the game where all the points are made up like the dm just says a number at the end of the session and that's what you get and the dm has probably figured out what's going to feel good uh for the amount of threat you faced and so they said that number pro tip that's what i've been doing since third edition i do not have time in my giving a good goddamn to calculate all the creatures and add them up and then divide them by all the players. No, I'm not going to do that. So I come up with a number that sounds pretty fun and I've got a pretty good sense of how, uh, you know, big numbers sound fun, but I don't want to make them too big or keep inflating them. So I know how to be nice and steady with it. And I just say that number, whatever, you know, feels right in my soul. I trust that. Again, I'm very good at gaming. Uh, but here I'm being a little less ironic. Um, In second edition, you know, I was asking about, you know, uh, it just, I, I just, for the life of me, I couldn't remember whether it was actually written if you got, uh, you know, XP for gold. Because when I played second edition, we always just played with it. But I couldn't remember if that was just our house rule or if it whatever. It turns out, as you mentioned, it was an optional rule. But the thing is, changing that so in other words for me that that kind of uh parameter on how to earn experience and the effect it has on the game was a constant for me when i played D D from the beginning up through second edition to the end of second edition and that's a very sort of specific type of gameplay um because of what i said about strategy and and you know rewarding players for certain things and all that and second edition did a great deal to try to pull in the story items and all that kind of stuff and sort of reduce the impact of the loot for xp and all that um but third edition completely removes it and goes to a situation where now you're dealing with uh a certain set ex expected number of encounters until you level and, and all of this sort of thing. 
And that is a fundamental shift in the expected gameplay. Not from um, not from the mechanical perspective. I mean, it's a shift in the mechanics too, but it actually fundamentally shifts the goal posts of the game. And that shift happened in second edition for, I suppose, many people as well, but not for me because we just kind of, we were still really playing first edition and we just kind of used second edition stuff here and there, right? And then we said, oh, we're playing second edition, but, you know, it was really still basically just first edition. So so for, for me, like for this huge span of time playing the game, sure. it had one type of set of goals. And then in third edition, it was a complete change it was a change in focus change in goals change in what the expected desired goal is for the game session in a way and i think it's it's hard to understate the effect that has on uh on a player new players coming in and just learning about this awesome game and older players who have been playing the game with the sort of other the other expectations for a very long time and i think that you can probably if you look at sort of the the osr nowadays the the old school renaissance the old school revolution whichever version of the acronym you wanted to use Mm -hmm. um when you look at that movement there's two things that stick out and the first one is they have a lot of really do-it-yourself focused type of things that they do it's it's all about kludging your own house rules to things making the game work for the best for your group creating new and interesting things creating new items creating new adventures creating new everything it's do it yourself you 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 have a couple of rule books and that's it everything else is you're coming from your brain and your group and you you do things through play and then the second kind of thing that they that that really is part of that that movement, if you will. It's not really a movement, but uh, is XP for gold is in in a lot of cases still a focus of the game because it does support that strategic but not necessarily tactical play because the the strategy of trying to gain the loot is different from the strategy of overcoming this encounter, which really means killing this beast. It's hard to underestimate that shift. It's hard to underestimate the difference that that makes. And I, I'm not, I don't mean that as a, a value judgment. I'm just saying it's an entirely different game. It's it's not the same game. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot yeah. of, when 4th edition came out, oh, this isn't D&D, and though there's all these things. Guess what? 3rd edition wasn't D&D either. Because that, sh- for some people, right? I'm You know, I'm not actually espousing that. But, but that was such a shift. That was such a huge shift. You cannot overestimate the impact that shift had on how the game played. For good or ill, you know, whether you think it's a good or bad thing is a, is a very personal, individual idea, right? I'm not putting a, an overall value judgment on it. It's just that's the truth. It was such a huge shift. Okay, now I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> that is uh, super fair. I, I think everything you said is... Uh... It's true. It's a huge culture change. And I have certainly seen people uh, talk about, and I assume they carry it through with this. I don't actually know. Uh, but talk about um, applying mm-hmm. uh, gold for XP to third right. and later. And, you know, 
enjoying the effects that that has. Um, but what I wanted to say about uh, third edition is that there are uh, two major ways to lose experience points. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there are ways to lose experience points in earlier editions. The, the maybe really <laughs> famous one right. is um, uh, <laughs> making unwise decisions around a deck of many things. This isn't going to come up much, but when it happens, that's that is fifty large going out the door uh, that it, that you did not care to lose. Um, but uh, in in third edition, uh, you uh, lose a level when you are raised from the dead mm -hmm. um, through anything other than I think true resurrection, um, and this is you know, designed to be the sting in death. Uh, your character can't permanently die unless you are you know, murdered all the way back down to first level and uh, then mm -hmm. killed so many times you have no con left. I mean, that is... Uh, I guess someone decided to grief you and to uh, pay all the diamonds necessary to do that. That's right. not mostly happening. But like, permanent death is not a significant threat in the game. Like death is about you're you're out for a while. The party's gonna get you back, whatever, and that's fine. Um, but the way the XP tables work, it is intended that you'll be able to catch up uh, adventure over adventure because you were one level mm -hmm. lower, and so you were earning XP, uh, earning more XP per encounter. That's a significant thing um, from that you know table I was just describing. Then there's the other thing, which is that enchanting magic items costs experience points. You, you, you gather up gold and you take a bunch of time in the course of the game and you've bought the right feet and you spend those experience points. Now, you've got to spend really a lot of experience. You've got to make really a lot of magic items. Or make it right. really high, really really high value magic items to see it make a difference in when you level up uh, by more than maybe one session, maybe that's even then pretty unlikely. But it does mean that any idea of all the players being the same XP total is dead in the water. Um, is just not a thing. Uh, the game explicitly doesn't expect it and in fact tries to solve for the fact that it won't happen um, by granting more experience to the lower level members of the party. Um, uh, but the the XP cost of enchanting magic items isn't drawn evenly from all the players, right? The fighter doesn't have a way to expend that experience unless there's some mechanic introduced so that it's drawn off of the, the fighter's spirit or whatever when the wizard makes of him um, a, a magic silver hammer uh, or whatever. Um, like, I, when I first read it, I felt like the intended dynamic was, okay, so the fighters and rogues are going to do the most dying because they're in the front and so they're losing XP that way while the casters are going to mostly live and 
just be slowly bleeding XP to do all the enchanting. Well, that's that's pretty debatable uh, whether that actually works out. Um, but it's neither here nor there. Um, suffice it to say that I, I do not now have uh, what I would call a warm, fuzzy place in my heart for um, XP for enchanting, um, except in so far as uh, I was often playing uh, play, playing third edition games where the DM also gave XP bonuses for uh, players writing journal entries about sessions uh, as a way to you know, record what was going on. So if I was you know, getting a little more tolerance for making magic items uh, by doing a little extra work away from the game, well, that's fine. I can live with that. Now, there's also um, energy drain and all kinds of other horrible things that monsters can do to you that can uh, cost levels uh, temporarily or not temporarily, uh, which more mechanics I don't miss. Um, I'm, I'm really not sorry to see uh, levels in 4th in and 5th be a, uh, a one-way progression. Uh, I am not missing that at all. Um, right. Let's see. So, um, circling back, uh, we, you mentioned in uh, OD&D that there's no practical upper limit on uh, on advancement. Uh, mm-hmm. You can just keep going. Like what you get per level slows down, but you can just keep going. Uh, so, it, I do want to mention that at least for human characters, that's also true for most classes in first edition. Uh, there are a couple of classes that, for not a lot of apparent reason, have right. a level cap. I think the assassin has a level cap at 14 or so, and the druid has a level cap at um, 14 or 15, maybe, um, until Unearthed Arcana comes out and blows the door off the druid and makes everyone sort of laugh and point at the assassin, I guess. Um but uh, there was definitely a dynamic of, well, 20th level is maybe the highest level we're going to talk about very much, but the game definitely could continue past that. Um, and then in in second edition, um, they got a little more explicit with that exploration. Well, okay, let me say, I know that Frank Menster got much more explicit with uh, post-20th level play in um in Beckby and in Rule Cyclopedia, right? Much more. And I think that's really cool. Uh it's not for every campaign, but it, it's a neat thing to have out there. Uh, even if the vast majority of games never see it. Yeah, you could go up to thirty sixth level. Uh and and you can become immortal. Yep. <laughs> uh so yeah, I mean there's that that system is I don't want to say unique because I know there are some other settings and whatnot that have similar things, but but going up to that high a level in D and D is not something that is common. Yeah. And uh, so you know one of one of the things is this sort of the same thing happens in fourth edition, right, where epic level play 
was the much you know by far the least common oh yeah it's much much less common for for a party to get up there were several don't get me wrong but uh that was much less common and same thing happened in beckme that not not very many people went up that high uh right you know it's just oh oh for sure you know um and so in second edition you've got um your your dm's option high level campaigns book uh that you know, lays out one set of progressions for high level play and then you've got your forgotten realms uh arcane age supplements that are you know 21st and higher level play uh, i know it charts at least up to 40th level uh because mm-hmm. arcane age is 100% about some 40th level wizards running around that's that's the concept <laughs> um right. and then you've got um uh, dragon kings uh, supplement for Dark Sun that is uh, 21st through 30th that includes your uh, uh, Dragon uh, transformation and your Evangion uh, transformation. Uh, right. And so that that brings me back to 3rd edition with the Epic Level Handbook. And uh, again, this is not a set of rules any of my campaigns ever reached. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, it definitely was trying to explore what very high-level play could look like uh, with just vast, vast numbers of XP you've had to earn. You've been playing for ages and ages and ages, presumably, if you played from first level. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But... uh, you know, we want to talk about uh, changing away from the core experience of D and D into just some totally different thing. Well, this is one way it does it. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> right. Like everything about the, about the dynamic and aesthetic of epic level play is going to be super, super different. Um, you know, third is such a breaking point. And while two is, you know, second edition is very close, and as we talked about, you know, it's it's very easy to uh, to 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 see the the through lines of the things that are that are threaded through the several editions at a time. But uh, you know, third is such a break from the previous. You know, I would consider sort of uh, zero edition through second edition to be kind of uh, the sort of they're the grandfathers, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And third is really the beginning of the modern D and D age, sure. I think. Yep. Okay, so I think we're ready to take on fourth edition. I think so, and and things are things take a, a shift um, in a direction that really surprised me when fourth edition first came out. Really? And, and okay. Maybe maybe it shouldn't have, but I I was reading these rules and sort of called back to mind that feeling of surprise that I had. Um, so in third ed, uh, mm-hmm. there was the whole sort of uh, approach to level banding where your level against the CR that you faced adjusted the amount of experience that you got. And mm-hmm. we just talked about that. Um, so fourth edition uh, reverts that to a creature has a, a fixed XP reward, I believe. Um, yes, they do. Right. Yeah, so, so you know, um, 
its XP reward is based on its level and uh, its role. Is you know, minions grant less, and um, boy, howdy, do solos ever grant more? Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a different episode, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we should absolutely talk about just the combat role thing and fourth. That that is a whole episode because it's amazing. Anyway, um, so so right. Um, there's there's the the whole question of uh, is is this thing always worth two hundred fifty XP, or is it only worth that uh, when you are at a given level? And then it's worth less as you outlevel it. And fourth ed says, "Well, no, it's always worth that." So, in principle, though not in practice, thank goodness, you can go after, uh, uh, you know, forty XP minions for a million XP each and be thirtieth level. Um. But that's one of those cases where the uh, the designers just don't bother stopping you from ruining your own fun, and that's mm-hmm. that's fine uh, because that would not <laughs> be fun. That's not a good way to reach to, to get a whole party to thirtieth level. No. Um, but that, that's another thing. Uh, advancing to thirtieth level is the standard here. Uh, that's the, the expected span of a campaign rather than 1 to 20 as we arguably saw in uh, second and definitely saw in third despite the existence of the 21st level and higher in both of those games. Um, in fourth, uh, 21st through 30th level is its own separate tier that, I mean... If I say you're expected to play it, we all understand that that's a very loose use of the word expected, right? Right. Right. Um, uh, maybe maybe a better way to say it would be um, it's expected that some groups will find that level set very enticing. Sure. And so it's expected, maybe maybe the way to say it is, it's expected that because the rules specifically allow players and PCs to gain up to 30 levels, that it's expected that the game should work sure. at those higher levels. Now, whether... Fair. Whether it does or not is another question, I think. <laughs> That's also another episode. <laughs> um, and so... So right, um, whether how the game's balance sorts out those levels is, hmm. um, but when you get to one million experience points, you are thirtieth level and done advancing. And I think it's rather nice that they uh, sorted the numbers out to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that feels sort of like a nice round number, um, and. You know, it calls to mind the uh, vast numbers of experience that you might need to gain just one level in the late game of first and second. Uh, mm-hmm. Needing uh, 
half million, a million experience points to gain a level. Yeah, it's, it's mm -hmm. nothing, whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, that's just totally part of the game. And so, so the numbers are, are contracted here, but more significantly, the pace of advancement is substantially ramped up. Um, I think part of the expectation is that you're earning your 30 levels in something similar to the time it would take to earn 20 levels in third ed. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have text to back that up or, you know, uh, math, but that's my, that's my belief. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the, the dynamics in fourth edition are so very different uh, from any other edition of the game. And one of the, one of the one of the things that happens is uh, it's specifically designed. This is kind of off topic, but it's specifically designed to create first level characters that are highly competent and highly capable, and that means they're capable of surviving uh, very difficult, relatively speaking, encounters even at very low levels. And that means that because they are so capable and so efficient and effective and have high hit points and can deal a lot of damage, when you're talking about just combat, they can just sweep through levels and their advancement ends up being very quick. Um, whereas even in third edition, even though third edition, I would consider it a modern iteration of the game, um, first level characters are still relatively squishy in third edition. Not as squishy as, say, a first edition magic user, but still very squishy. So given that, you know, that that's sort of that's sort of a, the progression, the way it's going. The, the, the fast advancement, the rapid advancement of characters in fourth edition makes sense given, I think, the design goals of the lower level characters. You know, they're so powerful. They're so capable. And of course, they're going to advance very rapidly because they are so capable. You know, in first edition, a magic user might have one hit point. There's the uh, there's the old um, the old joke of you know a magic user in in first edition could get killed by a house cat because a house cat can do you know whatever one d four one d six damage and man, man, a magic so user only has yeah yeah right. So, but I just mean you know it, it's it's sort of that's just sort of how it goes, and I think that was a complaint that fourth edition tried to address and the way that they addressed it in part once again this is slightly off topic but the way that they addressed it was by making extremely capable characters well when you make extremely capable characters even at low levels they tend to advance very rapidly so that was that was my but to get back to xp i think um i think starting in third edition there was a, a shift uh, and um, part of the shift was because, and actually it started kind of in second edition, but because there's no more gold for XP, you have to have other ways to award experience to PCs. And so second edition was really exploring that. And, and we talked about in the last episode, the tables where, you know, thieves can get, thieves actually do still get, uh, gold for XP. Other classes, you know, clerics get uh, extra XP for successfully casting a spell that was granted to them from their deity, things like that. So you get XP for playing your class well. Um, and I think uh, part, of, part of also what happens in third edition is 
there's a, a a lot of magic items running around and you they actually built in what the crafting system right so you could actually create items and that's part of what you're using your xp for and in fourth edition there's also a sort of sense of you're supposed to have magic items awarded to you for getting through certain portions of the story or of the adventure and that kind of replaced the xp for gold was the instead of having an xp for gold progression you now have in these modern more modern versions of D&D you have a magic item advancement yeah. rather than a gold yeah i think that the, uh, the the treasure um parcels are a really interesting shift in thinking mm-hmm. um was, I, I remember that being just really hard for me to grasp and engage with as a GM. Um, mm-hmm. I, just, I just bounced off that real hard as a whole way of thinking about things. And I mean, again, this should probably be a, a separate uh, episode to talk about treasure and what <laughs> it means right? In, in a lot of senses. But, um, but yeah, like, I have players who are coming from an older edition mindset um, anywhere from, from first through third as their, you know, the D&D that's in their hearts, right? And so mm-hmm. the idea of having a sidebar conversation with the GM where you tell them what magic item you've gone shopping through the player's handbook and all the other magic item books and decided you like best as your loadout so that they can present that to you on their own time frame. That was really antithetical right. to the whole flow of game and um, the sense of, well, where's the surprise in that was, was a big thing for, for certainly for, my wife and I think for a lot of my players, I, I really didn't get buy-in on. Um, hey, here's the thing I want from more than about one of my players, uh, who, mm-hmm. in a in a move that became sort of legendary within our tight gaming circle, um, let the NPCs know what magic item they, he wanted. They agreed to it. He received it as payment in advance it, with the understanding that he and the rest of the party would go on the quest. And then in the next session, the player had to move to Canada. <laughs> and so that was the storyline for the rest of the campaign, them completing this quest for a player who'd received the magic item and left. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's it's a, it's antithetical to me as well. Just as a person who started out playing the you know the older editions, um, I quickly got used to it though because I decided very early on fourth edition is a different kind of game. I mean, it certainly is. Yeah. Um, so I, I I in other words, I I sort of I set aside my preconceived ideas of what I want the game to be, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to play this game. It might not be the game that I thought that the original editions were and it's obviously not um but you know i think that they they try to uh so that so 
one of the best books that was produced for fourth edition is the DMG two. I the Dungeon Master's Guide totally agree. And, and I and I feel important. like yeah and and it's good um for a lot of reasons and some of it is applicable to other editions um but one of the things that they do is they talk about alternative rewards Mm -hmm. and so they instead of you know i I feel like they did receive when i say they i just mean you know the designers and wizards of the coast and blah 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 the, the ethereal they right um they received a lot of feedback about just exactly what we're talking about, where I think it really was not pleasing to a large percentage of the the player base or the fan base, so to speak, that magic items were just laid out and, and the DM was expected to just provide a magic item for, you know, for their players based on what they wanted, yep. um, rather than working magic items into the story and making it part of, you know, here's this legendary item. And so they tried to deal with that. They, they did it with uh, Morden Kanan's Magnificent Emporium. It had these different kits and sets of of different magical, you know, artifacts. And they did it a little bit with the second adventurer's vault. They tried to, you know, uh, try to make the magic items showing the uh, players and, and DMs how you can make a magic item, even though that player knows they're expected to get a certain type of magic item or a certain power level magic item, you know, giving options for, you know, allowing a magic item to grow with the PC rather than have to throw away their five, you know, magic items they got in the first tier. Now they're, you know, going to the second tier. It seems kind of ridiculous, right? Um, So they tried to start writing about ways to sort of fix that. Fix is kind of a weird word, but ways to ameliorate those effects, the the sort of bad taste that it left in the mouth of, of some players. And in the DMG2, they have a great section about alternative rewards and how instead of giving a magic item, or, um, you know, you can give divine boons or legendary boons, or you can make the story part of what they're, you know, make, make an item part of the story and how to work that in. And, you know, if, if it's a sentient item and things like that. Um, and it's great. There's great advice in here. The problem is... This book came out so late in the fourth edition cycle um, that, um, you know, it, it for some people it was a little too little too late. Although it wasn't right. that late in the cycle. I mean, it was just it was after the majority of the of the main rule books had come out, and people had already made their opinions about. Uh, about the the magic system and the and the reward system and the reason why we're even talking about this in the XP episode is that the way that fourth edition was structured was that XP because everything was so balanced XP suddenly didn't have it it wasn't as consequential as it was before and because there was this humongous jump in speed of of increasing a speed of speed of leveling so yeah. to speak, that you mentioned before. Um, they had to find different ways to, to well, do well, things. Right. And I think I think some of those effects were a little bit unintended. I, I don't I don't I don't mean to imply that the designers didn't know what they were doing because that's not how I mean it. But in terms of how it would play out over thirty levels, I think there were some unintended consequences of the way that experience points now work in the D D game that was not maybe foreseen to well, its fullest and, extent. And a lot of the so so let's let's sort of circle this back. Like in in fourth edition, adventure creation 
there's not a sense that the players have made a choice between uh, an easier encounter and a harder encounter. I think my understanding Mm -hmm. of uh, uh, original and first ed and to a very sharply diminishing degree, second and third, is that there was a very Mm -hmm. clear sense that, especially once you're in the dungeon, the players are choosing whether or not to go to a deeper dungeon level with harder encounters. And so, like, like you could absolutely be a third-level team uh, who's going to the fourth level of a dungeon or the fifth level of a dungeon knowing mm-hmm. that, I mean, you're in nightmare mode, guys. Anything could happen. But if you win that fight, right, the XP rewards are going to be awesome for you, uh, whether that's because the gold is awesome or because the the monsters are a higher you know, level than you're expected to fight. So it's a disproportionately large XP total or right. whatever. Well, and and don't forget that it wasn't always the case, you know, it wasn't the case that you would go down there yeah, intending sure. to fight everything. Instead, you went down intending to sneak around and, uh, you know, hoodwink a, a dumb, you know, unintelligent creature uh, into being able to easily distract it. And then you grab the loot and then you all meet back up and then you leave without having to actually put everyone in danger. Um, that's a very different sort of mindset. So yes, the, the choice is different because if you're choosing to go down to a deeper level, yes, the challenges are much bigger. The rewards are also concomitantly bigger or larger. But there's also the chance that you might not even fight anything. You you just might be able to use your wits and and sneak around and you know, beg, borrow, and steal some loot, and, and that's going to bring you XP, whereas that does not exist beyond first edition. I mean, Warrior as falls in a pit that's too deep for you to get out of. I mean, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, right. Well, but that, that goes for that big risk, big reward thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Exactly. Um, but, but I think that the... Uh, the big thing here is that um, the, the there's a much greater concept of, I guess you'd call it pathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say that fourth edition adventures were railroads because I don't think that's accurate or fair. I think that um, the idea of player decision making had gone in a different direction and uh, it was much more an expectation that it was going to be a curated experience on the GM side, right? Um, like you don't see a classic mega dungeon style design in fourth edition. It's not a thing. Even when there are huge dungeons, they don't operate like uh, classic mega dungeons where you are choosing your level of involvement in Project Mayhem. To be right. fair, third edition is very similar, right? Um, because the because I think that I think the, that's the a player fair choice in in the player statement. choice in third edition is uh, rests with the creation of the character, and uh, that leaves the DM to uh, you know provide challenges to the 
to the party, so to speak, that um, that sort of also match what you just said, that that the, the, the players all front end their creative endeavors into building these fantastical PCs and they want they want to go out and fight everything and meet every challenge and I mean I mean yeah um, there's also just the fact that um, the way uh, AC scaling versus attack scaling works for both uh, players and uh, as mm-hmm. NPCs um, something can just be bracketed outside your reach yeah like it's cool that you want to fight that thing, but I mean, are you going to reliably roll 17s and better to hit right. for the whole duration of the fight? Well, that, that's friend. That's you true in fourth edition too, right? You're, you're describing third and fourth. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm speaking, yeah, I'm yeah. speaking of it more yeah. of fourth. I think that uh, in third, you much more see attack bonuses get to, no, I'm going to hit the thing. It might be, you know, five or ten CRs above me, but I've focused on accuracy. I'm mm-hmm. going to hit the thing. I'm not going to do enough damage. I don't have enough hit points to take what it can do to me back. So I'm not going to survive the fight, but it's not because I can't land a hit. Yeah. And uh, at the very least, even if I, four, even if I, I mean, can't land a hit, I can roll a nat 20 and hit automatically. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could happen in fourth. It's just right. not going to be Well, yes, enough. of course. I, mean, I just mean that what that what when that wouldn't happen is any of the previous editions. <laughs> before yeah. third yeah um but but yeah i mean in in uh the fourth ed dmg there are rules on offer for actually just taking xp calculation completely out of consideration i mean it, it is it is what we now call milestone leveling um and this sort of suggested etymology uh, for milestone leveling, because milestones have a formal meaning in fourth edition that is slightly askew of this, but um... yeah, in four in fourth edition, milestones are connected to uh, when you get um, an action point, and right. uh, and and when you can and, use and, right, and and when you can uh, you can regain you know different types of powers and whatnot so th- there's a, there's a wider meaning to milestone in fourth edition yeah for sure but looking at page 121 in the dmg uh, if you want to you can treat experience points the same way you handle action points uh, tell the players that they gain a level after they complete eight to ten encounters don't count really easy encounters count really hard encounters encounters is two and don't worry about precise xp totals as with action points harder and easier encounters balance each other out over the course of that level so so yeah they're they're just talking about lifting out the math entirely other than you know tally marking eight to ten right encounters. right cool and that's that's fine it's fine like it it tells you a lot about what they cared about here mm-hmm. and crunching the numbers weren't it well um, the they cared about crunching the numbers. I think offloading the number crunching on the players and DM is what they didn't want to do. So that's what the part that they cared about, right? Sure. Yeah. And and that's what, that's and what I only saying. say that because the system in fourth edition is so very balanced 
Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying they succeeded in perfect oh, balance sure. in all cases, but it's so very balanced. They really worked on the math, right? Um, which which had this sort of paradoxical effect yep. of by the time you do get to those epic tier levels that we mentioned earlier, um, when the math kind of breaks down, it's really really obvious. Um, in a in a oh, way yeah. that was unintended. I oh, think. Oh yeah, I mean. I, something went wrong, and solving it with feeds yeah, right. did not constitute solving it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think that is really the the meat of what we need to say about uh, uh, XP in uh, in fourth edition. We, there are quest XP rewards. Um, there are guidelines for how to handle absent players who need to yeah. catch up. There's um. Uh, in the in the player's handbook as well, not just in the DMG. There's a there's a, a table on page two fifty nine that talks about rewards and risk assessment and and whatnot. Um, and it tells you the frequency that you should get rewards. It tells you that for every encounter you should get experience points. For every milestone, remember that has a very specific meaning. You should get an action point. For every few encounters, you should get some treasure. For every quest, which is a sort of overarching sort of mini arc, you should get experience points, treasure, and other rewards. And then after about every 10 encounters, you should get a reward of gaining a new level. Like that's that's literally, there's a table in the player's handbook that says such things. And then it goes on to explain what it means by those items. Um, and then it actually, at the end of that section says that there are all you know and this this is in the php1 it says intangible rewards can also be earned they include noble titles medals honors favors and reputation such rewards appear most often as quest rewards as recognition of your work in completing a quest if you save the baron's son from kidnappers the baron might reward you with a medal or a minor noble title in addition to granting some monetary reward and so and then it, and it goes on uh so that's the other part that it's talking about with the quests and so it's it it's funny because it explicitly spells that out but it's almost like no one paid any attention to that <laughs> in fourth edition yeah almost yeah so uh do you have anything else to say about fourth you want to move on to fifth um, I think I am pretty well set here without really go doing a much deeper dive on rewards, which we've okay. covered rather surprisingly well here. But um, yeah, I mean, I think rewards, other than uh, yeah, like non XP rewards, might deserve its own mini episode or I, something. I mean, there's there's a whole fascinating conversation just around. Uh, concordance with artifacts as a means of mm -hmm. reward, but um, right, that's way off in the weeds from XP. Yeah. So, but there's there's also something to be said for that sort of reward becoming a driver oh, in yeah. the game, other than XP, right? I mean, that's that's actually where it it kind of opens back up and loops back around to the previous edition ethos, right? And and where I love... the whole idea is exploration, right? right? And, and I love not having players thinking about, hey, we'll get experience points for this. I, I've always found mm -hmm. that really to be a, a distasteful 
uh, motivation at the front of the players' minds. As a, as a sort of distant secondary or tertiary, sure, my character will also advance, you know, make progress in level for this. That's great. No problem. But I don't ever want a player's first thought to be, we should jump these guys because we'll get XP for it. That just right. makes me skeet blood from my eyes. It is it is not... It, it's It's... So strictly out of character thinking, because there's no in-play language around experience points. If one were to create a game with in-play language about around experience points, I dearly hope that one would uh, detach them from um, your successful campaign of murder across the Sword Coast, <laughs> or at least not tell me about it. Right. <laughs> But yeah, um, there there are those intangible rewards that uh, that can really be the big drivers of play and the, the drivers of, of engagement in the ways that you really want, both things like lands and titles, and then also uh, if your players approach the game in a way where this is suitable. Uh, qualifying for Paragon Paths and Epic Destinies as they close in on needing to qualify for them, right? Uh, yeah. There are a lot of yeah. uh, Paragon Paths and Epic Destinies that feel like they're saying you have already accomplished something just to get here, uh, but mm -hmm. there's no explicit requirement attached because they don't want to have to even frame terminology about what that requirement would be but if it's appropriate for your table then sure you can say okay to qualify for this thing we're talking about this three levels before you need it but to qualify for this thing you need to achieve this this grand thing maybe it's you need to find your paladin mount in order to be the right kind of paladin that you want to be or whatever who cares you know uh, i've always <laughs> right. loved uh that level of uh, rewarding someone with advancement permission, you know, the the principle behind uh, what prestige classes were supposed to be, what prestige was supposed to mean in that phrase, that didn't really pay off. Uh, that was what really spoke to me, right? When when I first cracked open my right. uh, third ed DMG. And I spoke, I think, to a lot of people, and then there wasn't a well-understood way to make that mean something. And experience points were part of it, because experience points felt um, inexorable, right? Uh, if you engage right. in the game, you're going right. to get them. There's no way to not get them, but you also don't want to get to a point where you can't accept your next level because you haven't qualified for the thing yet and you don't mm -hmm. want to have to wait and wait another whole level uh to to start buying the thing because you didn't want your seventh level to be in rogue anyway or whatever for prestige classes um but yeah um that's that's always been one of the little pain points around experience points and what they mean 
So that, I think, brings me to the last thing I wanted to say about 4th edition and apparently 3rd edition experience points. <laughs> um, so, so, right. Um, in 5th edition, we're back to uh, 20 levels, this time with a substantially harder no 20th level is pretty close to the end of experience advancement unless you get into divine boon advancement which is a whole fascinating thing um, that I think we'll try to touch on a little later but um, it it's much more uh, third ed in presentation and a lot of a lot of fifth ed is much more third ed in presentation, even if the deeper you dig into it, the less it really feels like third, and the more it feels like an intersection of some things about second and some things about fourth. And I think that the fact that all of this is true um, is a, a big part of its popularity. The, the the similarities or the, the the similarities that fifth edition manages to have to second and third and fourth I, I think is why it has succeeded in uh, drawing people from those editions while also winning new players on its own merits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I can agree with that I think um, there's an awful lot of second of second edition in fifth edition. And there's an awful lot of, of third edition in fifth edition. And there's a little bit of fourth edition in fifth edition. And what's from fourth edition that's in fifth edition are the parts that mesh this with that mesh with the idea of fifth edition the best. So it's not like they just took pieces because they wanted to say they took pieces from every edition. They actually right. took the pieces that fit their vision of what the game should be now. Right. I mean, there's no question that the, the design was carried it forth with, with intent and understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, okay, I can find people on Twitter who will argue that, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to agree on a lot of things. Why start there? Right. right? <laughs> um, so... Maybe paradoxically, um, XP uh, becomes this big function of encounter building, and it gets real mathy in a real hurry if you care about um, balancing around easy, medium, or hard, or deadly difficulty. Uh, and Encounter building in third was was involved in some of the same ways, but uh, wasn't driven by XP totals because it couldn't be. Mm -hmm. It was driven by uh, how Sierra converted to encounter level. Uh, so in this, because XP totals are static for a given creature, um, you you're uh, able to take the creature's XP total and add it up until you get to the uh, the XP total that is appropriate for the level of difficulty you want for the level of character that you have, right? Um, so, for example, uh, a deadly encounter for a 7th level party uh, is, is an XP threshold of 1,700. 
Um, and then you also have the Adventuring Day XP, um, which is talking about you know the number of encounters that the average party can manage, mm-hmm. assuming they get uh, you know a certain number of short rests along the way, and sort of this whole thing. Um, so it's one of the more um, in-your-face mathy chapters in, in all of the DMG. Um, from pages 82 through 84. Uh, and it's not perfect. <laughs> and, and it's not perfect. And the game does work really well, uh, even without referencing these pages once. Um, and, and a fair amount of published content doesn't adhere to these right. at all. Uh, there, are, there are portions of... Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's no secret that uh, Tyranny of Dragons doesn't adhere mm-hmm. to this because it was written at the same time. It couldn't adhere to text that wasn't written yet. Uh, but Lost Minds of Fendelver has some uh, hilariously past deadly encounters. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's it's fair to note also that they provided additional experience points and encounter building information in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Sure. Um, yeah. uh, several pages. Uh, let's see. It's from page um, eighty-eight. Let's say to ninety-one, and it 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 offers a sort of more mathy way to deal with things. And then at the end, it has uh, this quick matchup table, and it says the guidelines above assume that you are concerned about balance in your combat encounters and that you have enough time to prepare them. If you don't have time, or if you want a simpler and less precise guideline, the quick matchup table below offers an alternative. And you can just look up uh, what level the characters are and look at what an appropriate uh, CR is um, if you have one monster, two monster, or four monsters, for example, uh, meeting those. So, yeah. so, the, so the reason I bring this up is because, um, and then there's some other tables in here as well, and it talks about encounter building. But the reason I bring this up is that, yes, on one hand, that's an extremely mathy way to do it if you do it the way and 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 i i have run through i've done various different iterations of encounter building and trying to figure out if i want balance and what i sometimes it's not even so much that i want balance but i want to figure out okay how challenging is this going to be for the characters right for the players um and those numbers aren't perfect and they don't always work because it's it 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 changes based on what kind of classes the party is made up of and and what the skill level of the actual players are versus the you know level of the pcs and whatnot um but most of the time you know well i don't want to say most of the time a lot of people won't care about those numbers and so this quick matchup table is just fine for them and so i guess the point i'm trying to make is while there is a sort of math heavy origin to how they laid out the fifth edition monster creation and and encounter creation and how it can be balanced or not balanced. It's also a system that is flexible enough that you don't have to care about that. You can just use like a quick matchup and provide a challenging encounter for the party. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. Um, And I think that 
as adventure writing has progressed, you've seen uh, Watsi's writers be willing to get a lot further outside the box mm -hmm. on uh, what constitutes appropriate encounters and uh, ways to just telegraph, you should maybe not fight this thing. <laughs> right. Just, just no. Uh, Dragon Heist is very much driven by conflict with people who are not motivated to kill the characters, and the characters probably just shouldn't be able to kill. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you turn these things into a fight, well, you're fifth level. That's CR 15. Bye. Right. Right. Um, and then that continues in a different way in, um, in Mad Mage, as there's a character who is acting as level gating for the dungeon to stop you from getting into trouble, trouble that you need to not get into, <laughs> uh, which is sort of mind boggling from an earlier edition dungeon perspective. But I do understand more or less why it's here. Um, well, I think, so can we talk about that for a second? Because, uh, because yeah, I yeah, think I in, in terms of XP and, and whatnot, I think, part of the challenge of playing the older edition games as we just mentioned a few minutes ago was trying to make the decision about well how many resources do we have left do we really want to go down these stairs to the next level because if we do that we're going into a realm that is is much more dangerous and not in a linear way you know level two is not just twice as dangerous as level one level three is not just you know, one more level dangerous than level two, it might be a logarithmic scale. So level two might be 10 times as dangerous as level one, and level three might be 100 times as dangerous as level one was. And so that, that becomes a very important decision point for the entire party. And that decision point was a large part of the game of, of managing your resources yeah. and managing how much more you can take and what challenges do you think you can overcome uh, and making the decision appropriate to what your what the whole group thinks. Um, but in the more modern iterations of the game, third, fourth, fifth edition, that's not really a consideration. You know, it, it, the consideration is, for the most part, the system expects that the challenges presented to the party will match their ability to overcome them and that may not be a hundred percent true and i know that a bunch of people are probably screaming at their at their phones right now hearing me say this <laughs> saying i don't run my game that way you know but that is an expectation that has been in the rules since third edition maybe even since second edition a little bit. And the reason I can say that is that we were just looking at a part of the book that tells you about encounter balance and how yeah. many, you know, like the, the idea is you can do that. And fifth edition has shifted back a little bit from that. It's, it's shifted more away from for the fourth edition ethos, which was, yes, everything is extremely balanced and the party should be meeting things that are challenging, but not necessarily deadly on the regular. 
Um, fifth edition says, well, it's up to the GM and however the, the, the DM wants to run the game, that's what you can run. But it's still written into the rules how to figure out what a balanced encounter will be. Sure. So it's still an expectation. Sure. I think that I think it's totally fair for a GM to just want to know, is this a fair sure. encounter? No? That's fine. Let's do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And like, um, Descent into Avernus is the one that really goes whole hog on you're just going to encounter a lot of stuff that nope. I mean, nope. It, yeah. Do not fight Bell. Right. Don't do it. Right. Do not do it. Uh, so, and, and so, so actually, can I say right? something about that? So, sure. you know, the idea of of running into a Lord of the Nine Hells in basic D&D &D or in, in, in first edition, you would have to already be relatively high level, like very high level, relatively speaking. Sure. And to even think about that. And then if you were actually encountered, you know, Asmodeus or Balliol, or a, a string of, you know, a, 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 a string of demons walking, you know, a single file through the cavern, you know, you're not, you're not going to face them down and expect to win. If you're facing them down, it's because you need yeah. to negotiate and you have something they want or need, and that therefore you have a wedge for that negotiation. In fourth edition, you could face them down, no problem. In fifth edition, I think there's, I think they're trying to flip back over to the, you know, some things are just too powerful even for really extremely powerful characters. But I'm not sure they've been yeah. very. Yeah. They haven't done that all the way because when you look at an adventure like, um, uh, what is it, Out of the Abyss? At the end, they're fighting the demon lords. Well, they're, they're watching the demon lords fight each other, and they can become involved in helping to right. change that. So that's, why, so that's why I say it shifted a little bit. They're not necessarily facing the demon lord themselves, but they are involved in the conflict. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, there, there's no sense that at the end of Out of the Abyss, you're going to go heads up against any of the demon lords and just steamroll them. Um, but I mean, that also gets into one of the, the, the big, big learning lessons for any fifth edition GM that, uh, I mean, most of us had to learn on our own at some point, which is action economy is king. Um, a group of uh, four to six characters can take things wildly above mm -hmm. their CR if there's just one of them and they don't have a bunch of le legendary actions right. or frankly even if they do right. um, because I mean action denial is mm -hmm. it's a thing and once you start down the path of yes I can stun that um, your legendary status doesn't count for much um, from, from what I've seen and what, mm -hmm. what I've heard from other people um, I mean, um, just having the the edge in overall actions per round uh, is is a huge huge deal. Even if each individual attack is less damage, um, like an overwhelming number of goblins with short bows can mm -hmm. 
can be a bad problem for even a very mm -hmm. high level party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think we we've also touched on this on, on other episodes as well. Same same idea. The sure the are. idea of uh you know this is one of the major differences between fourth edition and and almost all of the other editions. And that is, uh, in fourth edition, if you see a horde of goblins, uh, it's a reasonable expectation to think, oh, the majority of those, say some ninety five percent, are probably minions, and I can I can cleave through those with no problem. Uh, and only about 5% of those, you know, 150 combatants are going to be a problem for me. And there's five of us, so, you know, we can we can go through and we can survive that battle with no problem. In 5th edition, you might be fighting two big brutes and think, oh, okay, we're, we're doing okay on this combat. And then next thing you know, you're looking over your shoulder and there's five little pipsqueak goblins behind you. Suddenly you're sweating. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is for sure yeah. a thing, and um, the very very flat advancement of PC defenses mm -hmm. is just the key there. Um, the reason that that wouldn't work that way in um, in third, especially, is that uh, your ACs are going to scale so that you are just just about pushing hits off the table on anything other than mm -hmm. the 20. Mm -hmm. uh, even if that isn't literally happening, it's going to be close enough to happening that it makes no difference. Right. Uh, whereas, hey, a 20 AC in, uh, in fifth, and you are rocking. Yeah, you're, you're impervious that's, to a lot of things. <laughs> well, like, that, that's not absolutely as good as you can get, but, I mean you've got somewhere and it's going to stand you in good stead. Right. right. But a lot of attacks, you know, six or seven uh, short bow attacks per round, if you're not trimming those down pretty quickly, it's going to cause you right. a bad problem. But I think we're uh, well and truly. Yeah. We're, we're far, point. we're far off the beaten path here. The, the short version then is that uh, fourth edition still supports, uh, you know, a, a mathy approach to experience points, and well, you killed this many creatures, so you get this much XP, and then you divide it by the number of players, and you advance that way. It also supports, and the published adventures much more energetically support uh, milestone XP of just uh, when you get to a satisfying point in the story where it feels like they've accomplished. A thing and they've had the right amount whatever right amount means for you and your table uh, of of action to advance they advance yay <laughs> screw math it's great um in my own game uh, we do track experience points because a given uh character is not super likely to be in the uh, the party roster two adventures in a row mm. um, and so you know xp totals are just all over the place right. uh, there are low level characters adventuring with high level characters and uh, when the high level character earns 3000 experience points so does the low level character and so they catch up uh, pdq right. um, especially when the player of the high level character for the next session switches over to a low level, lower level character they've been wanting to work on. Right. That's that's very much a thing with us. Yeah. And 
it, it's all about just we're adults with tough schedules and people can show up when they can show up. Right. Right. Um, but, um, which, you know, yeah. to be honest, uh, talking about how, uh, growing up and, and having an adult schedule and jobs and children and other responsibilities, the effect that's had on how the game gets designed, I think is actually a viable topic for an episode. <laughs> yep. That's, it's very real. It's very real. Um, in 5th in edition, uh, as in 4th, they've done away with, um, I think, all ways to lose experience points. Uh, it, it is a, a hard rule in 4th that there are no ways to lose experience points. Mm-hmm. It says so in the player's handbook. This is a number that can never go down. Yeah. It never resets to zero. It only goes up. Um, in 5th edition... I only can't think of anything with the exception of the deck of many things that would ever cause you to lose XP, but maybe you can think of something I'm forgetting. I can't think of anything um, other than that, what you just said, some certain magic items. But the thing is that that particular magic item allowing for that mechanic to exist in the game also means that... uh, you know, anyone can house rule a particular magical artifact that, you know, is cursed or whatever and and allows that. But for sure. It, it, it definitely could be a thing. Um, I don't think any of us are knocking down Watsi's door to you know, yeah. I mean, release it in official content. I, I think that, I think, um, that, you know, XP is still a reward. It is still a, here's your, here's what you get for doing a good job. It's your it's your gold right. star at the end of a session, you know what I mean? And I think that yeah, for sure. I think they figured out uh, taking that away <laughs> is not in the best interest of fun. Right, and in my campaign where we do track the math of experience points, the number of experience points the players get is a total uh, pull from my hindquarters at the end of the session. <laughs> I just go. I, I come up with a number that sounds like it will be satisfying. Yeah. Uh, based on the the engagement the players showed in either picking something dangerous or picking something that was really meaty and story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I have sometimes gone back and said, "Yeah, okay, I I am not valuing the non-combat sessions enough within the XP totals. I need to." need to increase that or i'm saying that non-combat isn't as valuable as combat well right. fair um but um i mean when the players have a list of options and there's one that has a big red warning sign on it saying this is crazy dangerous and they go for it anyway then yeah they're gonna get some more xp right no problem right. um it's cool if they'll survive it but it's not important to me if they'll survive it. They all have alts. It's fine. They can yeah. go play someone else next time. Um, but I, I don't have the energy or uh, the motivation at the end of a session to total up anything about what they've done and divide by the number of players present and come up with a number to tell them. That, that just is not interesting to me. 
you know you mean you don't want to do the Gygaxian uh XPEB XPVA all that stuff <laughs> oh god of mercies <laughs> no no I, I do not care for that Sam I am <laughs> um I mean so I I feel like there there was a place for that at the time. I feel like, you know, I and in the last episode we kind of we kind of gave Gygax a hard time. But I I think that the thing is that th- this was the time when when those things were being written and when when that was being developed. There was nothing else. There was no guidepost. There was no uh plethora of of other RPGs and and other designers to to talk to and to discuss things with and to play test with a hundred thousand people and figure out what actually works and is fun and what just sounds great but doesn't actually work at the table. I mean, you know, and what's what's actually a a reasonable thing to expect a DM to do, you know, uh, in between while session prepping and and what's not really a reasonable or maybe reasonable is the wrong word, maybe just fun is the right yeah. word right and and yeah. i feel like you know i give him a hard time but you know i i do it with respect as well because i i think you know we kind of shake our heads and we go oh man the calculation here but he was trying to codify something that did not previously exist for sure for and sure. for that i think he he did a good job um, uh and i think i think the uh the evolution of the game through these through all of these additions that we've been talking about shows what a great foundation that made for designers to figure out and for dms to figure out okay how do i run this game and make it really fun right um i do think that there are a lot of things that had to be tried because that was the only way to find out if they were going to work and i think that uh, a lot of the, the new things that have become more public in just the past couple of months about uh, Dave Arneson's style and the the Bronstein style uh, have helped to cast some of that in a different light for me. Um, mm-hmm. It really suggests that the, the more antagonistic GMing style was not even universal at the time of publication. It was mm-hmm. pretty specifically Gary's thing, and there were other people working in the same space, but taking a very different tack, even from the very beginning. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I also think in part um, a little bit of that is where the the old adage of, you know, this game is is imagination. So you run it you run your game how you want and these rules are guidelines and suggestions and you run the game the way you want i think part of that is a nod to the fact that there doesn't have to be one right way as much as gary blustered about this is the way to play this game um you know he himself also contradicted his own words multiple times throughout the years uh and and throughout whatever but I feel like the blustering was just a personality quirk and he knew that people were playing the game differently as well. I, I think that's fair. That's fair. Well, so what else do you want to say about fifth edition and XP? Um, hmm. uh, I think that uh, there are still people 
you know, experimenting with, um, you know, using fifth edition rules, but circling back to uh, gold for experience points. I've seen uh, drafts of rules along those lines. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, I think that overall, the the number crunching approach to experience points is um, fading in popularity within the community because um, the published adventures are steering them away from it. Um, it's been, I think, quite correctly pointed out that um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage really does want a uh, more numerical XP total approach to experience because it's such an open area for you to explore in whatever order you want that um, Mm -hmm. milestones don't really work very well. Um, You you just get to, well, we, we finished this level sort of, but we only encountered about half the things here. Or, well, we methodically encountered all the things here and then circled back and did another bunch of things over there. And anyway, it's been 15 sessions since we leveled. But that's not because we're <laughs> faffing around. It's it's just this dungeon is enormous and RDM also wanted to tack on some additional side content in the way the module says to. So, so right. favoring milestone experience for Mad Mage was a, an odd choice. Um, but I did want to take just a quick moment to mention that 5th uh, edition has um, its own little postgraduate program for advancement after 20th level. Uh, <laughs> you got your divine boons in uh, the DMG. Starting on page 231, you get... Um, uh, a page and a quarter describing um, that uh, additional advancement past 20th level. So uh, it says, consider awarding one epic boon to each character every 30,000 XP uh, they earn above 355,000 experience points. These are just, these are individual features. They aren't exactly on par with what you'd give a nominal 21st level in a class mm-hmm. and importantly they aren't more experience more, more hit points and more proficiency bonus and so on right but also note that on page 230 down at the bottom there's a sidebar that says you can also decide rather than giving an epic boon you can provide an ability score improvement or a new feat yep Right. So it actually, yeah, you're right. It, it, it provides guidance, a little bit of guidance for here's how you can keep going if they if those characters still want to do things. Yeah. Uh, as you say, we've seen very, very little support for even 20th level play mm-hmm. in 5th in from, yeah. from official channels um, to say nothing of post 20th play. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I get flashbacks of epic tier fourth edition from that sure. because the same thing happened you know but the the scuttlebutt was they were going to come out with a dmg3 
and it was you know because the first dmg1 was for heroic tier dmg2 had a had a section on paragon tier games and everybody was sort of holding their breath waiting for the epic tier book and it never showed up because of course they they went in a different direction (laughs) um but i but i remember that for a very long time at least what seemed like a long time uh while we were all you know the people were all in the midst of playing fourth edition and we were all waiting you know our characters got to 20th and 22nd level and we're waiting for okay this isn't quite working out we need our book to tell us how to make this game work in the epic tier and we never got it and i kind of feel like that's a little bit what's happening here in fifth edition too where the you know support for the top four levels is just not there yep yeah. Um, um, what I wanted to mention, though, before we move on, <laughs> is uh, note that that epic boon section is directly after the other rewards section, which starts on page 227, which talks about blessings and charms and supernatural gifts and marks of prestige and parcels of lands and medals and special favors and strongholds and nobilities and that very same thing that it talked about in fourth edition. Yep. Is right here in this book. Yep, for sure. Yeah, there's like it's very good, very good content um, that I think I would really like to uh, I'd like to see more people explore and talk about. Uh, we are starting to see a, a bit more of it showing up in official adventures. Um, Dragon Heist is obviously one of the, the mm-hmm. most significant and known examples, but uh, Ghost of Saltmarsh also plays in that space a bit, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy about it. Just, yeah. uh, it's, it's such a good way to uh, give players something that they care about for more than what it can do for them. Right. You know, I, I feel like, uh, we have now gone through the evolution of multiple editions of the game for us to realize that experience points are a straitjacket in a certain manner of point of view, right? In a certain uh, point of view. Right. Because, I mean, so they do serve their purpose. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should throw them, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. But, you know, as you said, you know, uh, using milestone XP works in a great number of cases. And it removes the straitjacket from that story-based gaming. Mm-hmm. And you can now explore different aspects of that story without worrying about, did we defeat enough creatures to get to the next level so that we could move to the next stage of the story? Right. But it doesn't work in every case because Dungeon of the Mad Mage, as, as you pointed out, does not work with milestones. And choosing to discuss that particular adventure as if milestones were the way to go is kind of the wrong it feels wrong. It feels like it did. It wasn't as effective and efficient as it could have been. And, and I, I believe I owe a hat tip to uh, Merrick Blackman for that particular yeah. Uh, point. Yeah. Oh God, I I owe about a thousand hat tips to Merrick. <laughs> right? right. He's yeah. He's good. Sharp fellow. Sharp fellow. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, uh, from from a point from a point of view, XP is a straitjacket. Not from every point of view but from a certain point of view. And because of that, I think really in 5th edition, more than any other edition, the designers have explored other ways to write a story to allow 
the DM and the players to experience progression that's not so strongly tied to, you know, if I get one more XP, I'm going to level up. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a good, I think it's a progressive evolution rather than a regressive evolution. But I don't, as I said, I don't want to throw XP totally out the window. I think XP has its place. And not just in as as a you know as a as a stalwart of of the history of the game, but as it's still a good way to run a certain type of D and D game. Well, and there have been some other really compelling experiments with form over the years. Um, I feel like I should point out that um, my very favorite of all of my players, the one I'm married to. Uh, <laughs> would very cheerfully uh, run a game or play in a game that uh, completely removed level-based advancement as just mm-hmm. an element of play. Um, it, right. it just does not offer her anything of interest, and uh, she would want to see advancement come in the form of things your character has earned uh, not uh, uh, like things you can talk about in the story as having been earned, you know, whether it's a magic weapon or a new spell or a new manner or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, really, uh, putting a laser focus on on story and how it engages with the idea of reward. Uh, Another really interesting experimentation with form um, was the the Epic Six uh, or Epic Eight format in uh, in Third Edition, where advancement proceeded from first level, but once you got to sixth level or, or eighth level, um, that was the level cap. You could still earn XP, but you shifted into alternative advancement um, in a manner not too dissimilar to um, Epic Boons. Uh, okay. You could buy things like improved ability scores and additional feats and so on, but uh, if you're playing E6, well, you were never getting a fourth level spell. That wasn't a thing. Or if it was a thing, it was a thing in this really roundabout like ritual performing way, not you know, I just normally have access to fourth level slots, right? Right. And uh, that it's a fascinating format because of how it keeps world building much, much lower fantasy uh, mm-hmm. and some really interesting things happen because of the, the choice of six or eight as your level cutoff uh, because of how each new level of spells uh, drastically changes the setting and the fiction. Um, right, right. So yeah. So let me let me ask you a question then about about uh, about your wife. Um, does she play non-level based RPGs as well, or does she just play D and D? We do play uh, non-level based RPGs like Over the Edge. Uh, okay. She, I mean, Over the Edge is one of her favorite games. Uh, of of all right. time, any edition of the game. Yeah. Um, do you have the Do you have the latest oh, edition? Oh, oh boy! Oh yeah! 
Uh, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she has one of her old over-the-edge characters uh, in the book itself because she backed at that level in the Kickstarter. Um, nice. But uh, we're, we're good friends with some of the creators and um, have really, really loved following the game to its new release, and we're so happy to see a, a new edition come out. We're huge fans. Yeah. Uh, like she's she's run sessions of Over the Edge for Atlas Games at Gen Con, that kind of thing. Oh, nice. So, so okay. she's a mega fan, and I, I would say that I am too, of, of Over the Edge. Uh, we've also played uh, you know, character point advancement games like World of Darkness, which mm-hmm. uh, have the same problem for her, of just it isn't great to feel like well i haven't played the game long enough to play the character concept i wanted when i was coming into the game um Mm -hmm. zero to hero is just not an arc that is is super fun for her right Um, and i can i can understand that uh certainly it's an arc that we've kind of done to death um Mm -hmm seeing some official adventures try out more uh i start off as somebody and let's really dig into who that somebody is and then go from there could really be a a a breath of fresh air and a different way of doing things yeah and it wouldn't have to be you start at you know 10th or 15th even starting at fifth as you see in mad mage but really Mm -hmm weaving that character into society could be really cool. Um, right. And you look at uh, Storm King's Thunder, I believe, was noted for kind of really rushing you through the first five levels so that you were tough mm-hmm. enough to start taking on the things that you were there to fight in Storm King's Thunder. So Right. One of the things I like about Numenera, I, we're way off base now, but <laughs> talk about over the edge and Numenera and yeah, <laughs> whatever. whatever. But, you know, w- one of the things I really liked about Numenera, I happened to run a game of Numenera, uh, a campaign level game, a six, ar- six session, eight session arc or something like that. Um, and the one of the players really liked to play nobles and he wanted a character that was um, a noble. And that is so easy to do in Numenera. And you can make that character a tier one character. So they're basically level one, starting out at the same power level as everyone else in terms of the PC. But the system allows for that sort of background to actually have oomph in the setting. And it it worked beautifully. Um, I was a little worried at first because I was, you know, thinking, oh, crap, you know, this 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 person, I, I don't I'm not sure how I'm going to uh, be able to rein in the power of this person if they're part of a noble house and this and that. And but it was it was just very smooth and easy and it worked just beautifully in a way that felt natural within the game mechanics and the game setting. And. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not saying that can't happen in D and D. By all means, it it has happened in D and D for for me. Um, in in previous editions, I haven't done anything like that in fifth. But but it just it's almost uh it's it's a sort of a different kind of game 
when you're doing that in D&D all of a sudden. And you usually have to be a much higher level before you can get to the point where you're doing that. Whereas in that Numenera game I ran, it was like from day one, it was completely okay and within the bounds of the game that this person could be yeah. the son of well, the king. And it was you know? really exciting for me when um, I, I was going through D&D Next and uh, Fifth Ed and seeing backgrounds um, and nobles right there. And they don't drill down into all that that should mean in the societies they're nominally presenting. But mm-hmm. I mean, in principle, playing a, a member of the high nobility or the, the royal or imperial families should be on the table with, with that. Should right. It's not, it's not rejected in, in theory, noble can support that it, in practice. That's a mm-hmm. big, big expansion to the background feature, but that's okay. Whatever. You do you. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> now that I've gotten us way off on a totally yeah. different tangent, last thoughts about 5th edition and XP? Uh, I think we've said it. I think I am uh, pretty comfortable with the ground we've covered here. Awesome. I think I am too. Right on. All right. Well, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I write for Tribality.com and BrandisStoddard.com, and you can find me on uh, MeWe, where I run a 5th edition group, and on uh, Twitter, at BrandisStoddard, and on Facebook. Also, I have a Patreon that is BrandisStoddard. That's me. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, and you can find me on RPGmusings.com, which is my website. And you can also find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash RPGmusings. Um, well, thank you for listening, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation, including all of our amazing tangents. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we hope to uh, hear feedback from you, and we hope that you're enjoying it enough to listen next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.